Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. I was going to say happy new season of our podcast, but we don't really go in seasons. We just I mean, are we took a break for you. I mean, we took a break. It's the fall season. Well, I mean, it's August and everybody's going back to school and it doesn't feel like fall semester, but it technically is fall semester, everyone. Well, you know how like when you think about seasons, you think about like TV shows you watch and it's like Mm -hmm. the season starting, the season premiere, the season Mm -hmm. finale. And like, I feel like watching TV nowadays, like we don't think in those terms because TV is just all the time. Like, especially like binge watching or streaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think podcasts kind of go the same way. So like, I don't know, we're just always here for you. Even if we're like off, go to our social media because yeah, we're like, like we're dipping our toes in coming back because technically we are going to be airing an episode of the Diverse Thinking Different Learning podcast. We were guests on recently with Dr. Karen Wilson. You may remember Dr. Karen Wilson because she previously was on our podcast. Yeah. And we had a really great conversation about, you know, we always get into like IEEs, right? The independent educational evaluations, what people are doing, how they're doing it. And this was a really, she wanted to have us on so that we could talk about, you know, she has episodes over the summer and she was just like, you know, what can you do as a parent to prepare for the upcoming school year, right? So I think it's still applicable to a lot of you listeners because while some are going back to school, there's a lot of things that, that are helpful that we talk about in this podcast. And then if you still have a couple of weeks, it helps kind of give you some time to prepare. Some nice tips and tricks to start the school year. We want to start you off on the right foot. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Yep. And we'll be back with our own episode flavor next week. We'll talk to you soon. I'm so glad that you're here. How are you both spending your summer? (laughs) It's just started, right? Yeah, recharging. (laughs) Um, This last school year was quite the school year and not in a good way. (laughs) There was so much going on. There was, and I feel like we're still dealing with the effects of like the entire like COVID first shutdown, second shutdown, third shutdown, however many shutdowns we had, right? And and the after effects, um, you know, we deal in statute limitations of two years. So the two years right now was like the beginning of COVID. So I feel like this summer, last summer, it was still about figuring out how are we getting kids back to school? What's going to happen now, by now, most kids are back in person, except for like our medically fragile kids. Um, so, I mean, we always get the question of what are you doing this summer from like school teams? And we're like, <laughs> oh, we still work over the summer. I um, know. Well, well, you actually paused your podcast because I was just like, well, good for them for, for pausing that. And I agree. I can't wait to jump in because I think that even though, you know, the majority of kids transition back to school, there is still so many stops and starts and 
difficulties with the transition and kids going home because of COVID outbreaks? Well, I mean, there's a collective trauma that's completely unaddressed in each and every single IEP meeting that we go to. I've had to say multiple times, or I guess this past school year, I had to say multiple times, we're still in a pandemic. You know, I know I know you might not think so, uh, but we are still here. Um, And, you know, I don't know that teachers knew how to address the collective trauma. I think some did it in a really great way. But the let's just sweep it under the rug is um, manifesting itself um, via behaviors, via a need that is not being addressed. And I think that that's what's been so difficult is like everybody has like amnesia or something. <laughs> and, and it's like, usually you have a couple people on the team that like agree with you or see whatever, but it's like everybody's sweeping it under the rug. It's really sad. And that we're seeing so many more kids who academically, like they're capable. Right. And, and I think a lot of teams are thinking, well, these kids missed a lot. So it's okay if they're a little behind academically. So that doesn't mean that they need services, but they're completely ignoring the behavioral, the mental health, the social skills, all of this, especially our young kiddos. Like imagine the kids that in 2020 started kindergarten and they didn't even get to finish kindergarten. And now they're approaching going into third grade where by third grade, we talk about that's the transition from learning to read to reading to learn. And what happened to these kids who didn't learn to read? What that does to them as as a child? I mean, that that's a young child still, a young child who's learning how to behave in a classroom. What do I even do? Do I sit here? Because at home, it's not the same. Even if the parents set up a really good system of here's your desk and here's your you know, Chromebook or whatever that may be, there weren't 20 other kids that they hear all these distractions. There weren't the desire to be like, oh my gosh, my friend is right here. I just want to play with them, right? Or there's a pencil (laughs) on my desk. I want to fiddle with it, right? So we forget about all of the things that I think we teach in kindergarten about being in school. We're We're not teaching now, but we should be because they missed that. And that's just kindergartners. Right. When this, this, these issues go all the way up to high school and you both brought up two very important points. And now I know where I'm going to put this episode because I just had someone talking about trauma. And so I'm going to put this episode after that one because Vicki, you mentioned collective trauma. And, and then Amanda, you're talking about, you know, kids who missed out on critical periods of learning. And it seems to me that there, and I've talked about this before is that the schools don't know. And I think that's why there's, we've been inundated in my private practice with assessments because the schools didn't know how much of this is gaps in learning due to COVID and how much of this is an unaddressed, unidentified learning disability or mental health challenge. And, and even if it's, well, we would expect that because of COVID, does that mean that they don't get intervention and don't get support? Right. And I mean, there was COVID relief money that was going to address this actual point. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and in reality, the IDEA and how we determine eligibility for an IEP doesn't discriminate against something like a global pandemic. Whether or not, if that kid has some underlying condition, whether it be a, a learning disability or a mental health challenge, and that is impacting their education in any way, vocational, academic, social, emotional, 
in any way, they still could be found eligible under an IEP. And I think that's the piece that a lot of teams are missing. They're thinking, well, if this kid hadn't had gone through the pandemic, they would never have needed an IEP because they don't have a diagnosis of autism or ADHD, um, you know, or anything along those lines. So we're not even going to assess. And, and I mean, in fact, I had a, a kiddo, um, a new client that I, you know, just retained who's, it falls under that boat who for years never really, you know, was kind of on that edge of like, do they need an IEP? Do they not? But academically they're capable. Um, and the team is just saying, well, it's just because of COVID. They're a young kid and it's, it's COVID and, and everything. And it's like, Number one, you have to look at that individual child. How are they being impacted now? And two, many of these kids are being impacted way more than their peers. And I, I see it both ways. I see some teams that are saying, well, if you're not, if this kid isn't impacted as much as their peers um, or just the same, then we don't need to look at an IEP. And then others that are saying, well, you know, it's only if there's a huge gap, but the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act looks at the individual. It doesn't look at how they are in comparison to the kids in their class. It looks at their needs, their circumstances. And their circumstances may have been that because of COVID, not only did they miss time, but they went through the trauma of their parent dying, their grandparents dying. Maybe they had to move because they couldn't afford their home because their parents were laid off. They didn't have access to internet. Um, I listened to an NPR um, story the other day on a podcast about a child whose family had to move back to Mexico during the pandemic to help family and be there for family. And they missed, this child missed a year and a half of school. And the school just was like, well, they're just missing. They just left. They just disenrolled and never came back. And and I'm thinking about it from you know perspective of like what we do. And I'm like, why didn't the school reach out to this family? They just assumed that they just weren't re-enrolling just because they didn't want to. And it's like, there's so many circumstances that occurred during the last two years that all create this collective trauma, not to mention just being away from peers alone. I mean, all of this impacts. Absolutely. And I think that's why you say that special education, the special education world can be tricky to navigate. And so many parents are not aware of some of the things that you've just said, that because of mental health issues related to covid that their child can be eligible for support if it's impacting them in the classroom setting. And, and that's why the work that you do with the Inclusive Education Project is so important because what you're doing is you're getting information into the hands of parents who can then better navigate the educational system, which is so unclear to so many people. And it's not like they put it on their website. If your child is struggling, these are the steps to follow. I wish they would, but it's almost hidden. Like you have to figure out how to navigate the system and how, what to ask for yourself. And why is that? Why is it so tricky? Do you have any thoughts about that? Because I wonder. Yeah, you know, it, you have lawmakers in Congress creating laws about things that they may or may not know about personally. They may be doing research and, and that's great. They have people that are doing the research for them, right? So they're getting a memo. But when you have to go through it yourself, <laughs> and, and plus it's the overarching, right? The IDEA is the overarching, it's the federal law. And then you have different states that implement different 
laws underneath that. So for instance, in California, we have specific timelines for when an assessment is to be completed when a parent asks for it for the first time. It needs to be done within 60 days, plus the IEP meeting needs to happen within that time. You're not getting that in Arizona. So then you go into the county, you go into the district, you go into the individual school, all those people are doing things differently. And so you have some districts that do it really well where, yeah, you could go online and it kind of gives you some steps. Then you have teachers that probably should know that if a parent, you know, is, is asking about support, you are responsible under the law to help that parent put in writing that they would like the child to be assessed. That doesn't get talked about, right? I, I think it's just so convoluted um, from the highest level. Yeah, it's legal jargon for the most part. I mean, that's one of the reasons why our podcast, we try to take the legalese and make it um, easier for, for the average person to understand because that's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with everyone is not a lawyer. They didn't go to law school. They didn't, you know, even most people don't read the law, right? They can't um, or they don't have the time because it's very lengthy. Um, and so, and that even applies to schools, uh, teachers and administrators, when they go and get their credentials, they go and get their bachelor's degree, their master's degree, their teaching credentials. They're not required to take legal classes on what the law says about special education. So the majority of people working at schools don't have that underlying basic knowledge of the law. And school districts are not doing a good enough job of training their teachers and their staff on the basics. I mean, the very basic thing that teachers should understand is the child find requirement that ensures that school districts identify and evaluate students who may be impacted and who may be eligible. And, and this law is, the threshold is so low. And that's why I'm saying school districts don't do a good enough job because the amount of times we get parents that come to us or ask us about whether or not their child should have an IEP and the cases where they've gone on for years without even an assessment. Because there's a difference between, okay, I think this child might need something, but I don't know. And okay, this child clearly, you know, has a diagnosis of a cerebral palsy and they have all these deficits. They, they're going to definitely qualify, right? But that's not the question. The question isn't whether or not the student is going to qualify. And that's the decision a lot of teams make because they think, well, I don't think they're going to qualify. So that's my answer. But that's not the question. If, if there's a suspicion of a disability by any member, parent, soccer coach, teacher, librarian, anyone in that child's life who has a suspicion of a disability or a learning challenge that may be impacting their education, an assessment must be done. Whether that assessment results in eligibility is a different story. But that fundamental first question, not enough staff members are educated about what that threshold is. And so for listeners in the U.S., um, and this may actually apply to other countries as well, but we're in the U.S., so we'll talk about the U.S., who have a child who they've seen struggle this past academic year, who, you know, left in June with a, a progress report that indicated areas of difficulty. And they're thinking about whether or not their child needs an IEP or a 504 plan. Um, what would you recommend to them now? This is the summer. Can they request in writing this summer, like today, the day that they hear this podcast, an, I, an assessment for their child who they suspect needs services through the school district? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it could be done over the summer. However, testing does not begin over the summer. Any vacation that or break that is over five school days automatically gets told to the next school year. So think of, you know, winter break um, and, and summer break, right? What I would suggest is you email a, a plethora of people, right? People are going to be out of the office, um, and it's always good to put multiple people on emails. It, it, you know, we have it in, in our hand, right, that we can do this. It used to be write a letter, take it to the secretary, have her stamp it, make a copy so that you know that you, but now we got the timestamp here, right? Um, and to avoid it went to my spam. Oh, I didn't get it. You get like three or four different people. You get the teacher. You may not know who the teacher is next year. Okay fine. But maybe you put last year's teacher because they might have some information that would be useful. The principal, the vice principal, hey, if you have the admin, um, you know, the the assistant to the principal, add that person too. <laughs> you're going to want to be able to, if you're going to do that right now I, I or, or in the fall. Um, and even go to the district website and Every school district website has a staff directory of their special education department. And even the superintendent, you can even send it to the superintendent. Whoever's email you can get that is a district administrator is important too. Because while the school does have an obligation to bring this to the district to start an assessment process, many schools are just not as apprised of this process. Or you might have a principal that makes up their own decisions and says, well, I don't think this child's eligible because I talked to the teacher and the teacher didn't think so. Right? So... Having that accountability of the district involved is just as important. So if you take that first step, you're going to include, you know, even if it's five to 10 emails, put them all on there and then set a reminder for the first day of school because the first day back is when this time period triggers. So in California, they have 15 days to get you an assessment plan, 15 days. So yes, the, the 15 days doesn't start during the summer, but it starts that first day of school. So it's best, you know, yes, they should be reaching out to you automatically, but do your due diligence. And once you have the new teacher say, look, you know, I want to let you know that we had these concerns last school year. We let the district and the school know I'm giving you this as well, because I want you to look out for these things. And I want you to keep an eye out um, while we go through this process. It's important to give the, the most information that you can give a team, the better. So when you make that request, I believe my child needs an IEP assessment. That is legally enough for them to do an assessment. But the best thing to do is to give as much information. So why? Why do you think your child is struggling? So I looked at my child's report card, and there's six areas where they're, they're not meeting standards. Um they are having a lot of trouble even wanting to go to school. They're, they're upset. They don't feel that they have any friends, whatever it may be. Even if you don't think it's academically related, right? Anything that's happening at home that you see, you know, they're complaining of stomach problems and not wanting to go to school. Well, you might think that that's health related, but most likely that's a manifestation of a mental health challenge, right? They're not wanting to go to school. They have so much anxiety around school for whatever reason, social, just being afraid because it's new. They haven't been to school enough in the last two years. Maybe it's social because they don't have any friends. Maybe it's that they fear that they're not doing well enough in school. Maybe they're comparing themselves to their, their siblings, right? Whatever that may be. And it's manifesting in stomach aches. So um, explaining that process as much as you can, and, and especially for kids who are younger, who may not express it to their parents, right? They may not say, 
you know, I'm really nervous. I don't want to go to school. A lot of kids don't tell their parents that because they don't even themselves understand that feeling, right? So how you can describe how they're acting is, is as much as possible. And parents were in a unique position, right, um, when the shutdown happened and they themselves became the teachers. They were really getting, you know, going behind the curtain and, and seeing because, you know, parents don't go to observe their child during the school day. Maybe you go for an assembly or an award ceremony or something like that. Right. But you're not really there while they're learning. So how does your child learn? Right. And I think one of the earliest ways, but I think a lot of parents probably mentally block it out. One of the earliest um, uh, examples of you seeing how your child learns is potty trading. How does your child learn, right? And I think most people just try to get through it. Let's just try. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. But if you kind of start to think back, did they like visuals? Were they more into the social stories? Were they, I need to see it first kind of thing? And, and that is something that you can kind of always take with you if you have a younger kid. But where I was going with this was you saw how your child learned during the shutdown. And, you know, he wasn't paying attention for more than like a couple of minutes. I wonder if that's still happening there because I'm seeing that for citizenship, he's getting an N or unsatisfactory, whatever, right? You don't have to use that, like Amanda said, but it would be helpful because what we get sometimes the response and this is asking for an IEP. I would suggest you ask for IEP and those testings because with an IEP, you get services that are tailored to meet the unique needs of the child and which include academic, social, emotional, and vocational. A 504 at times can provide things like counseling. We've seen that, just depends on the district. But with the IEP, you get more almost protection, like there's those set timelines, whereas with a 504, there are no set timelines. And I say this because the response is usually, well, let's have an, a student success team meeting and let's talk about this. That's fine. You can talk about it, but you don't have to. You can wait and say, I, I would like an assessment plan within 15 days. Because what ends up happening more often than not is you don't want an IEP. Your child is going to go into a special day class. They're going to be labeled and you don't want that. Let's do a 504 instead, or let's just do the SST instead. And that it, there's no testing involved with that, like with the SST. And there may be testing with the 504, um, but I think it's really important especially if you don't know it's dyslexia or ADHD or some medical diagnosis, which they cannot diagnose, but you want to really look to see how your child is learning. How are they accessing the educate their education or not accessing? And an IEP evaluation is probably your best bet to get all that data. And even if your child doesn't end up becoming eligible for an IEP, that information is still going to be very valuable because whether it doesn't rise to the level of an IEP, but maybe a 504, or you're just getting information about how your child learns best to give to that teacher and to have for yourself. Um, and and a lot of times kids have IEP evaluations that um, allude to certain areas and it's not impacting them, you know, a huge amount at that time, but maybe in a couple of years it will. So the comparison is often helpful 
to have. Um, but if you do get that pushback that Vicky was saying of, of trying to convince you not to do an assessment or convince you to do a 504, or even a lot of times there's that threat of that special day class and, and the stigma behind special education is very real and parents are afraid. They think, well, you know, I don't want my kid to be labeled. They don't have a disability. So why are they, you know, if your child is struggling in school, they may benefit from an IEP in the general education class. So if you feel that pushback is happening, you have a right to stay, stay firm and say, no. These are the suspicions. This is how my child is being impacted. I want an IEP assessment. They have to give you an assessment at that point. There's no there's no leeway there with the school districts. There's analysis and there's leeway when it comes to whether or not a student is eligible. But that assessment piece, you shouldn't be getting pushback. And I think that's really important because I've talked to so many parents who come for a private assessment because they've gotten pushback from the school where the school has said, oh, he probably won't qualify for services or or your child has ADHD. So you absolutely only need a 504 plan. You don't even bother with an IEP because 504 plans are for kids with ADHD. I've had parents say that. And, and what you've just described is the importance of requesting an IEP assessment because it seems like it has more teeth in it than a 504 plan. That's a great way to describe it. I had a, a recent client that had that situation where they were given a 504 because they have an ADHD diagnosis. And now the student is having behaviors that is facing expulsion. And they still haven't done an IEP assessment because they're saying, well, this has nothing to do with the disability. Well, what a lot of people don't know is that ADHD can manifest in some behaviors that are similar to autism. And some of those can be social interactions, can be behavior, and can be things that lead to disciplinary proceedings where if we didn't do an IEP assessment, we wouldn't have seen all these other things. Because most people, when they think of ADHD, they think of attention only. But that's not the actual clinical DSM-5 full definition. There's a lot more to ADHD than most people realize. And so by having that category of like, well, that's your disability. And even when I was talking to this parent, I said, have you ever had a suspicion that there might be, um, you know, the child might be on the spectrum? Because a lot of the things you're telling me, the perceptions of peer relationships, um, the social interactions, the behavior, all to me have that crossover where it may just be the ADHD manifesting in other ways, but it may also be something else. But until we do that assessment, we don't know for sure. So the, the, um, that the thought that like, oh, well, it's just ADHD. So we're going to go here. That is a problem. And that's from teams not really understanding the nuances of the law and not understanding and not being trained on what they're supposed to do in those situations. And I think, again, this just highlights why parent education and providing this information to parents is so important, because then they can make better informed decisions about what to ask for and what their kids might need. And I'm thinking about those parents whose kids might already have an IEP or a 504 plan. And they're sitting here over the summer and they're thinking, well, I don't have another team meeting for another you know, year or so. What should they be doing over the summer? Should they be looking at whether their, ki their kids have made progress? Should be they be looking over their school reports? Should they be preparing to speak to their child's new teacher at the beginning of the academic year, what should they be doing during these seven months to prepare? Because the the new academic year is going to be here before we know it, <laughs> like, like right. tomorrow. <laughs> and, yeah. And I would say first things first, if you had your annual in May, April, you don't have to wait a year. 
The most important thing to know is you can request an IEP at any time. So if you're not, if your annual is not going to be in the, in the first 90 days of school, we do recommend you having an IEP. It's most important if you are transitioning to a new school, a new program, a new level. So elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to vocational, you should have a transition IEP within 30 days. But if you're not doing that transition, it's still important within the first 60 to 90 days to have an IEP because you're still dealing with usually that gap of summer and the child getting older and transitioning to a new classroom, a new teacher, maybe their middle school, high school, they're transitioning to seven new teachers. So you don't have to wait. So the same thing applies whether or not you have an annual or transition or you don't in the fall, you should still probably be requesting you know, there's very few cases where we don't have an IEP within the first, I'd say, 60 to 90 days. Um, we we almost always have one because there may have been things that we didn't check up on in the spring um, because maybe we waited. It's a new school year. Things can change. So as much as you can do to prep for that. So making a list. What are the things that were outstanding from last school year that you don't feel got addressed? What are the concerns that you're seeing this summer? Um And what are the things that you would like the team to keep an eye out for in the fall? And there's nothing that says that you can't email the team over the summer or the first day of school to say, hey, these are my thoughts from last year. I want to start the school year on the best foot we can. I also think it's important to reach out to the teacher when the child is a bit younger and, you know, they're they're not necessarily aware or um, really have a concept of what their unique needs are. I think that's where an email from the parent kind of setting up the child uh, is is a really good idea. Once you get into middle school, I like the student to try to write a letter if if they're able to and they feel comfortable um, so that it can be sent out, you know, to each and one of every one of their teachers. And in middle school, when I, you know, tell my parents to, to help their child or when the, the parent just does it, I can't tell you how many times within that first day, you know, a lot of the teachers go, I had no idea. Thank you. All that teachers should be getting a copy of the IEP. And maybe it's an IEP at a glance. And they have 500 new students. Maybe 30 of those are IEPs. And especially when you have a kiddo that doesn't look like, and I'm doing quotes because it's so obnoxious, um, doesn't look like they have a disability, right? Um, it's so important. Yeah, it's so important to let them know, hey, this is my child. These are their unique needs, you know, you know, and, and in that way, the teacher has a heads up, especially middle school teacher for that 30 day IEP meeting. Hey, you know what? I, I did notice X, Y, and Z. Maybe they catch something that the previous teacher didn't. And then you can add a new goal. You could add new services. You can get all that done at the beginning of the school year. And you're not waiting until May. And this happens a lot. Why did you guys wait to tell me this? And it's like, they it, it's not like they are purposefully doing it. You know, we get it. They're completely busy. Um, but that's kind of that. Nobody likes to be in that position. Wow, this whole school year has gone by and you're saying that he's having this issue with bringing in his homework and turning in his homework? Ah, you know, and it, and and so that's why it's important. And so, you know, once you establish that communication with the teacher, it, it kind of, I, I think it helps build a relationship, right? You're, you're not trying to be pushy. You're not telling them what to do. You are simply presenting in a nice, concise email. Hey, this is my child. 
These are some of their unique needs. I would look out for this. This is what happened over the summer, you know, whatever. I think that is always, I, I, I don't, I have not had a teacher at this point and anything can happen, I suppose, but say to a parent like, oh, please don't email me, right? Like, please don't. Do, like, it's been very helpful. So that's something that a parent can start thinking about doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and since we're, you know, we still have a little bit left of summer, um, another thing that is often helpful is take that IEP that you have. Look at those goals. Try to implement the goals at home. Hopefully, you've had a good team that has explained the goals and they're very clear and you understand them. Um, and that's a, such an important tool that you have. You, they should be written in a way that you can do them at home. And so if you try them out, right, and you take data, even if you only have time to do it once over the summer, if you can do it multiple times, great. But if you don't, if you only have time to do it once, that's great. Because what you're going to find by trying to do these goals is you're going to see firsthand what the student can do or can't do. And sometimes we see that summer, these months of summer, with some of these kids, so much happens. Whether they're going through a summer program or you put them in a camp and and they're actually learning some of these skills or just something clicked, right? You don't know. And so we often get teams that'll say, okay, look, if the student makes great progress at the beginning of the year, we can always change the goals. We can always make them more challenging or we can add to a different goal. But the best thing to do is start off the school year on that foot of, look, this is what we did this summer. Or I tested them over the summer. And like they're making so much progress or sometimes regression happens over the summer. So you're starting, you're giving the team kind of more of a baseline. Because when you have a baseline, let's say you had an IEP in May or June and your baselines are from May or June. That doesn't mean that they're going to be the exact same in September or August. And maybe your annual wasn't except until December, right? And so you've gone December to June and let's say you didn't have an IEP. Okay. Well, we recommend having an IEP before the school year is over, but let's say you didn't. This is a good opportunity to reevaluate and look at where your student is, your child is now um, and give that feedback to the team and say, this is, this, this is, you know, and by doing the goals at home, if there's any issues with clarity of the goal, like let's say the goal was not written, whether or not the student should be independent or not. And you're like, oh, I don't know. What, were they supposed to be independent? Was I doing, doing prompting? That's your opportunity to write down questions and then have that IEP and flush this out. Clear, clarify. Don't wait for the annual to clarify. Um, you know, so that's an op- a way for you to see you know what, I looked at the goals again, and they made sense of the annual. But now I'm thinking, there's these three other areas that are actually, you know, something that we we'd want to look at. So it gives the opportunity one to give that baseline to the team two to see are there other are areas that we should be taking data, right? Because the start of the school year, maybe those first 30 days is a transition, right? Transition to a new school, new program, new teacher, whatever the it's the honeymoon phase, right? They're doing great. Or the transition was a disaster and they haven't gotten used to it. Either way, that first 30 days, we're not sure. So taking data, maybe the 30 to 60 day point is a good frame of reference to determine, are there other areas that should be included in this IEP? And not waiting for that annual to make that determination because we don't have to wait. And we probably should have prefaced this um, because I, I know there is an invisible load for many mothers um, and we're not telling you this is all that you have to do. It is completely okay to not have your child do anything over the summer. I think it's important 
to say why. You know, she had a really tough time at the end of the year. We are deciding not to do summer school if they offered it, right? Because a lot of times it'll be like parent declined summer school, right? Or ESY, extended school year. But sometimes it's very important to know why. She had a hard time. She needs a break because you are modeling for your child mental health breaks, health breaks. You know, we, you know, you get sick and it's like, okay, I got to take a couple days off of work to get better. We need to do that mentally as well. And it is perfectly okay to say, you know what? She had a big blow up with some friends. I'm putting her in like a fun camp. Um, and that's what we're doing because that is still part of the IEP, social, emotional, and even vocational, right? Like even these science camps that are fun, but like maybe they're STEM based or whatever. And that's an area that will help the team decide, well, maybe we can put them in a science general education class if they're just in special day, right? Because the child really likes science and, you know, this year is biology. So there's going to, there's going to be a lot of labs and things like that. I think that that's also important to make known because more often than not the notes are you know not always specific but it's like when the district makes a decision it's like all in there and then it's like parent decline (laughs) and it's just like no let's put let's put in there and I think something else that's useful is bring a friend to the IEP meeting that friend can take notes because your job is to be there to listen to focus up And if you have questions, to ask your questions and to engage in that dialogue. More often than not, parents go to these IEP meetings and now in a Zoom, I think it's a little nicer. You're in the comfort of your own home or you're in the office um, and everybody is is on Zoom. Everybody's almost equal, right? We're all in this little box. Before pre-COVID, it was like 10 different people sitting across from you. That's really intimidating if you your partner wasn't able to make it and it was just you. Bring a friend, let them take notes, and then you can ask that those notes be part of the IEP document because they're going to see things differently um, and, and write things down that maybe they're not catching. That is still important. So I think that that's another practical tip to help alleviate the burden, you know, Mothers have these invisible, you know, loads that we just carry all the time. And this is not meant to give you more. (laughs) This is meant to kind of make you aware and try to think of ways that you can do it very easily. Again, the phone is, is so great. You can shoot an email off. You just had a conversation with the teacher. Hey, I'm just following up. You had said X, Y, and Z. You know, what are some ways that we can address this? And I get it. You know, sometimes the teacher's not going to respond right away. Give them grace, just as you would want grace to be given to you. But if it becomes a problem or if it becomes something that is, you know, you really feel like they're ignoring you, you may need to reach out to somebody like us. <laughs> no, or an advocate, right? Like, because, you know, we we deal with this a lot. And, and sometimes parents will say to me, like, well, I feel like they're ignoring me. I just had this in a conversation yesterday with a potential new client. And I said, I, I get it. The last two weeks, um, we've had a major holiday. And this is the prime time that a lot of school districts, they people take their breaks. So they're not ignoring you. It's just, and, and you know, she may not have been thinking that because she was having all these issues and then she sent all these emails and nobody's contacting. And it's just like, you just need an outside person who's still very passionate about what they do, but it's not my child. So I can have that um, perspective and I can give you that guidance to move forward. That is so great. And I, I just think that 
what you said about the mental health piece is so important. What you said about kids needing a break over the summer and then explaining to educators in the district why you chose not to do summer school, because even though there's been increased attention on mental health issues, it's still not getting kids are still not getting the support that they need. And and it's just an important piece. I mean, you can't kids can't learn if they're anxious, they're scared or they're depressed. Yep. And so we have to, or they, they're experiencing trauma. So we have yeah. to pay equal attention to those issues. And I'm also hearing, you know, that parents need to be, feel okay and feel empowered to ask for, from educators, what their kids need and for connecting with them and letting them know that these are things that I've observed over the summer. You know, again, I'm not telling you what to do, but I want this to be on your radar. My child has an IEP. She has a 504 plan. I'm concerned about this. I just want to make sure that when my child begins in the fall, that we're ready to support her in whatever it is that she needs. These are things that I've observed, and I just want you to be aware of it so that we can move forward and help my child to be the best that they can be this academic year. And, And also what I'm hearing is that some of the things that might have been in the IEP, for, for example, if there has been there hadn't been a meeting for six months or so, you know, and your child is transitioning to middle school or to high school, the academic demands are going to increase. And how are they going to be addressed in this new setting? And maybe you've noticed things over summer or even during summer school that you want to bring to the attention of the school and make sure that your child is being supported as they make this transition. And I think it's important for for parents to have this information. I'm so glad that you both made the time to speak with me over the summer, because again, I think parents and kids just, they need a break. Everybody needs a break. break. Everybody needs a break. Especially after these last two years. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I'm hearing is that they should take some time if they have any concerns, if they want to reach out to the teachers, to the district now, even though, you know, it may not be addressed until the school year starts, but to kind of take stock of where their child is, where their child might need support and bring to the attention of their child's new teacher or new school, you know, the kinds of supports that are going to be needed moving forward. And do not assume that once you send that off, especially over the summer, that they, that anyone at the district is going to make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and 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 I feel like a lot of times parents think that, you know, I sent an, an email and it's like, you know, I, I have these real concerns. So set up those reminders in your phone, you know, to give them a week. You know, I, I, I think that if it's pressing, maybe a couple of days, but, you know, give them a week and then, you know, you, you shoot that email. Hey, I'm following up over the summer. I made this request. I know it's the first day of school. You know, what are the next steps? And then in a week, hi, I haven't heard back. I'm getting a little worried, you know, and I think that that kind of shows it's a team, right? And and we can't move forward if it's me and my kid against the school district. It has to be the district, myself and my child against the problem. And it's not being able to access their education or whatever. Parents are equal members of the IEP team, even though school districts sometimes don't want to act like that they are and you know we just hope we can empower parents to to speak up you know there's often i i hear from families we're worried about retaliation we're worried about 
you know, the teachers, you know, doing something in the school and taking it on against my child. And, you know, does it happen sometimes? Sure. Sometimes school districts, they, they don't like, you know, the tiger moms, but you know your child best. And if you have that gut feeling, that, that mom gut feeling or that dad gut feeling that something's off and your child needs help, you know, stand your ground. You have a right. You have every right to ask for support and to advocate for your child. Absolutely. Vicki and Amanda, I cannot thank you enough for being here because I think this is going to help. I know that it's going to help a lot of parents. And, you know, especially during the summer months where they have some time, you know, often during the academic year, you know, we're on this hamster wheel, but now there's some time to kind of think and review to take that IEP report out of the drawer, take a look at it. Now, if parents or even youth service providers who work with kids who are struggling want to connect with you both, what is the best way for them to do so? They can reach us um, via email at admin, A as an apple, D as in dog, M as in Mary, I, N as in Nancy at IEPcalifornia.org. They can also visit our website, inclusiveeducationproject.org, and there is a contact button. If you didn't write down that email, you can just contact us. We'll get the email right away. And we're really busy, I should say, not busy, but active on Instagram. So you can shoot us a direct message, a DM as well. Um, And then we have a really active Facebook group um, for our podcast, um, Inclusive Education Project podcast um, on Facebook. And it's a group and we have administrators in there. We have parents in there. It's really, it's a nice place to go and, and community that we've kind of built there. And our podcast as well. So, you know, you can look through our archives of all of our episodes. You know, we've had a number of different topics. So, most likely the the concern that you're having that we might have had in the podcast episode of it. So you can go back and listen. And if you still have questions, you know, join our Facebook group or, you know, send us a DM or an email or something. And, and we're happy to help in any way we can. Wonderful. And I'll be sure to put the links to your podcast, the Facebook group, your website in the show notes so the parents can reach out to you directly. And for a lot of our youth service providers who are working with kids directly and want to know how to support these families, I'm going to encourage them to reach out to you both as well. So thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you for being here with me. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dr. Karen.